Leadership is the art of giving people a platform for spreading ideas that work. Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. Welcome back to the DC Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathram. If it's your first time checking us out, we really appreciate you being here. Remember to subscribe wherever you're listening and on Instagram at DC Local Leaders and come find me on LinkedIn. I don't want you to miss out on any of our Monday mindsets and new episodes with impactful examples of leadership and mindset. To make it easy, we're going to drop some links below. We want to continue to create value and share these messages of shifting our mindset, achieving our goals, and being a mentor for others to do the same. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, please remember to share it with a friend. It'll really help us spread the word. We're also actively seeking partnerships and sponsorships to continue our mission, sharing examples that we can accomplish anything that we work towards with the right mindset and the right mentorship. If you or your company would like to partner with us, please use the links below to connect. Today's episode is with Christy Grinnell, the Global CIO and Chief Supply Chain Officer of GDIT. Christy actually started her career on the assembly floor as a manufacturing engineer with General Motors. And through a series of saying yes to opportunities, she's now the CIO of GDIT, a roughly $8 billion company. She's the perfect example of just leaning into the word yes, taking advantage of opportunities, using your mentors, mentoring others. In fact, the release of this episode comes on the same day as General Dynamics Women in Technology Leadership Summit, where their motto is Women Moving Mountains in Technology. That's exactly who she is, and she talks a lot about that in our episode today. She's the perfect example that you can go from being in a technical role to a leadership role, and she shares a lot of her personal experiences along the way, what she learned from athletics as a child, what she applies to her everyday life, how she manages her mindset and her routines, and what that does for her to be able to show up as exactly who she is every single day. So let's get into the episode. All right. So Christy Grinnell, thank you so much. DC Local Leaders, we're here in the office of GDIT. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting day. Yeah. So General Dynamics Information Technologies. You guys are a part of General Dynamics. How do you fit in into that overall mechanism? That yeah. So we are one of 10 business units. We are the IT arm. That doesn't mean that we do IT for all the other business units. We help them with some IT, but it actually means that we sell IT solutions and services to all of the government agencies and a little bit of state and local. And so you're the CIO and you are in charge of supply chain management. I am. And those two things are very different things, aren't they? They are. But the reasoning was very simple that we are an IT company. We buy a lot of IT goods and services. Christy, you're the CIO. As CIO, you buy a lot of IT goods and services. We need somebody to lead our supply chain. Could you do that too? And it was as simple as that. Now, GDIT, you guys just recently, well, a couple years ago, you made an acquisition and now you're doing somewhere around like what, eight? $8 $8 billion? Billion, yes. Mm-hmm. A little that, over that. Was that intimidating to think about, to take on a responsibility like that? Yeah, it's actually interesting because I started with GDIT. It was my first CIO gig. And it was a small little $4 billion company. They needed somebody to come in and lead their transformation, which I had done in my last several roles. But it was a small company. I could do this. I could, I could feel my way around. And then within a year and a half, it was, oh, by the way, we're buying this other company. And overnight, you're role changes to double the size, double the infrastructure, double the IT budget, double the IT headcount. So it was a little intimidating. Plus, oh, and we need to meet these synergy targets, which yeah. IT is the best, biggest chunk of, of that effort. How old were you when you took over that, that position? Um, you never ask a girl no, her age. I However, I will let you. So I'm 48 now. So I came into GDIT then when I was 43. So that happened right around when I was 45. So you're about 45 years old when you took over that position. Mm-hmm. You've you've been at Pricewaterhouse before, and then you were at CSC yes. before that. Mm-hmm. But I thought what was really interesting about you is you actually started your career 
in engineering as an actual manufacturing engineer. I did. So I actually graduated from undergrad with a mechanical engineering degree, went to General Motors right out of college, only girl in engineering at the Fredericksburg GM powertrain plant, probably younger than most of the engineering staff by at least 20 years. And I did manufacturing engineering. And so that meant I was designing machines for three years. Yeah, so were you like on the manufacturing floor what kind of machines, like yeah. lathes and... So I will tell you exactly what I did. I designed all of the assembly machine equipment to assemble the torque converter clutch, which is in every GM transmission that they build. Oh, wow. So for automatic cars. So rivet upset machines, balancer, and some of the other assembly tools that had to be done. I designed those machines. And this was just when Kanban and just-in-time manufacturing was happening. So you did these tiny little U assembly cells versus the big, huge footprint of the assembly line with common tooling and all of that. So I designed those first ones that came out. And then after two years of design and getting the first one into implementation, I had to supervise my first machine, getting all the parts out the door. And my goal was not to shut down Detroit. Where were you at that point? What state were you in? Virginia. You were Fredericksburg, in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. How, and what, you're like 25, 26 years old right uh, out of school, right? Yeah. I mean, I was younger than that because I, I started college when I was 17. So I was like 21 years old on the floor doing this. I had an amazing mentor. He held my hand the whole way, but I was good at CAD drawing. And that's where I did a lot of that. And then I'd fly up to our, our suppliers who were making the machines in Indiana and Ohio and really rolled up my leaves and figured out how it all worked. So I used the the degree I got, but I really realized that I liked being on the production floor more. So which is when I started supervising them. Why'd you major in mechanical engineering? I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I was always told that I was good at math and science. So it was, why don't you go into engineering? And so I went into engineering. Well, what kind of engineering? I'm like, I don't know. What do you think you might want to do? I always want to be a doctor one day. Well, mechanical engineering is a really good background for that because you have to learn the mechanics of the body, just like you learn the mechanics of everything else. Got lots of levers on our body. So that's why I went into it. It was a really good general engineering degree that you could really transport it into any other career. And that's why I did it. And was your plan actually to go to medical school at some point? I had thought about it. My grandma was a nurse and she sat down with me at one point when I was in college and said, Christy, you are probably my most sensitive grandchild. Do you think you can handle being a doctor? Because I didn't just want to be a doctor. I want to be a neurosurgeon or something like that. Like I just, I wanted to dig in and do the hardest thing possible. And she's like, I just want to make sure that you can handle the first time a patient dies under your care. And that really made me pause for a moment. She was a nurse in World War II and she saw a lot. And so I took that to heart and said, maybe that's not for me. Were you close with your grandma? I was close with her. Was that your mom's dad or your... your My dad's mom. Your dad's mom, sorry. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. What was and so you grew up in Pennsylvania in uh, Philadelphia? You said I call Philly home. I moved around a lot when I was little. My dad, I call him a serial entrepreneur. He okay. he liked to start businesses, sell them, start another business, sell it. And as he was first coming into the telecom business, he he moved around a lot. So born in Buffalo, moved to Illinois, moved to Michigan, moved to another place in Michigan, moved to Illinois, moved to Philadelphia, and so I call that home. But is that where you spent? How old were you when you were about eight, nine, ten, middle school age? Where I mean, or Philly. You were in Philly. Yeah, I was in Philly. How old were you? Yeah. Like, where were you? Yeah. So I'm a Philly girl. I okay. talk pretty fast sometimes, so I try and purposely slow myself down because the Philly can come out in me. So watching your dad when you were growing up be an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and, and go through some of those challenges that entrepreneurs go through and the successes that he seems to have had. Yeah. How do you think that's impacted you and some of your, your decisions to go into mechanical engineering and then make a yeah. pivot at some point? So I was super fortunate that my dad was probably my biggest fan. Yeah. So, and I was raised by my dad. My parents got divorced when I was four. So my dad raised myself and my sister on his own. And I really believe that because my dad used to tell me, Christy, you can do anything you want to do. And he constantly reminded me of that. Like, sky's the limit. You can do anything. And so, and he actually had this little plaque that said, I'm going to raise my daughter to be a doctor, not to marry one. So because of that, I really thought I could do anything. So when somebody would put an idea in front of me, Christy, why don't you be a mechanical engineer? 
okay, I'll go to school for mechanical engineering. Christy, why don't you design these machines for the production floor? I'm like, okay, I have no idea what that means, but okay, I'll do it. Because my dad taught me how to take risks, right? Yeah. He he showed me by doing, because he was taking a risk every day with the next business he was starting, right. with the way that he would move us around for that next opportunity. He was taking risks every time, and he taught me that I should too. And so did you see him, did he have practices that wore off on you about how to manage? Everyone talks about being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. But no one really talks about what that feels like. It's that overwhelming sense of impending doom that you're not really sure why you feel this way, yeah. but you feel this way is because you know how the sausage is being made yeah. and you're actually building this plane as you're flying it. So my dad actually passed away right before I got my role at GDIT. But up until then, he always was the guy, even in college, my first job at GM and throughout all of PwC, that I would call and I would brainstorm with him and say, Dad, I have this problem I'm trying to solve. This is what I think I'm doing. And then he would give me this long answer of, well, did you consider this? Did you consider this? And I have this idea. Why don't you do this? And I would go, okay, that's exactly what I'm not doing, Dad, but thanks for the discussion, right? So like, but having that somebody that I could brainstorm with and just seeing the way his brain worked and the questions that he asked as an entrepreneur always made me think about things from a different perspective. So he was like your first mentor. Absolutely. Do you have, how many other mentors? Because I'm assuming you have more than one and for different different reasons in your life. Yes, absolutely. I firmly believe in having your own board of directors to help you in your career. When even in high school, the counselor that said, hey, Christy, you're really good at math and science. Like you could consider these things. So I did that. But then throughout, I I always looked at everyone as a way to learn. So even when I was at GM, I had my boss who was an amazing engineering mentor. He taught me so much about how to design and how to re how to reverse engineer things for the good of of the business problem you're trying to solve. But then even on the manufacturing floor, I found people who were on the assembly line that they had been there for 20 years that were just so chock full of information that I never would have understood coming from where I was, where I had never been on an assembly floor before. I had been this privileged girl who went to college and came here with this big degree that really knew nothing about manufacturing. So the fact that they could impart that on me, one of the first guys who worked on on my assembly cells, he probably was the best mentor I ever had in manufacturing. And so now, even today, the CIOs that I used to work for prior, but I always look around and say, what do I need to learn in order to have better perspective? And that's who I put around me for my, my mentorship. What about just general life mentorship? You've got kids, you've got three kids. Yes, right? three And they're kids. teenagers right teenagers, now. Teenagers, 16, 17, and 19. Do you have mm-hmm. people in your life to just, maybe when they were younger, to just figure out how to do that? I mean, did you, do, you take, do you take the same practice in your personal life that you do? I do. I, I, first of all, I believe it takes a village, right? It takes a village to run the CIO shop and supply chain shop that I run. It takes a village to run my family as well. So as they were really little, we had an amazing au pair, my husband, my sister down the street, my dad was down the street, and I have three or four amazing friends that I call my village, that they were the moms that if I couldn't get home to pick up my kid in time who was sick at school, they'd run down and pick up my kid at school, and then I'd meet them at home. And if I didn't know how to do this, they did, and or at least they'd lead me in the right direction and start to connect thoughts for me. It takes a village to do everything to think we can do things on our own I just don't believe in that and your dad lived down the street you said yes Mm -hmm. so like everybody loves Raymond yeah very much right down the street my sister's six doors down still to this day my dad used to live right across from her Mm. so very close I want to talk a little bit more about you as an individual and how you how you do what you do okay do you have what's your day look like you have a morning routine are you big into working out I've talked to a lot of leaders and they all seem to have something whether it's they're doing triathlons they are um, into yoga they're into reading they do something what's your thing I I have definitely a morning routine that includes working out every day that is how I set my focus for the day it gives me my energy for the day relieve some stress for the day so that that is very very important to me you have to build your foundation solid in order to be able to take on the rest and I think that's it but I I go through that routine after I get my kids out the door and make sure they're good which I know they're 
they're teenagers, but I still make sure that they're getting out the door for school. And then I start my day. I end it now with COVID, typically going for a walk with my husband and the dogs to kind of wind down. That's a great wind down routine for me so that I can come back and be present for my kids and not bring the stress of work with me. And then I am, I'm very big in my faith. And so I try and do a daily devotional every night. Pray and meditate or pray. pray. Mm -hmm. Do you journal? Do you do any sort of like affirmations or write any thoughts down? Is that a part of your routine? I have tried to journal. I don't know if it's the engineer in me that just doesn't believe in like writing that stuff down. I don't, I cannot get into journaling, but I, I am because I do my daily devotionals and, and pray. I, I feel that that's really my outlet. Is that something you do with your family and your kids too? We go to church every week and they're part of youth group, but we, I mean, we pray around the dinner table for yeah. grace and stuff like that, but we don't, we don't generally do that together. It's my time. A lot of your dad wore off on you and yes. seeing his practice yes. and his routines. How do you think you being in the position that you're in and having some of the success that you had is wearing off on your kids? Cause you have two girls and one boy, two girls and one boy. Yeah. I, I definitely hope that they're seeing the good and the bad. I think it's just as important to see what you like about something as it is what you don't like about something. So I hope they see both sides of that. My son has really taken into working out. He's very much into lifting weights and taking care of his body, which I think is uh, fantastic, trying to be healthy. And all of my kids have played sports. We've tried to instill that in them. So I think that's key. But I also think just rolling up the sleeves and and the hard work, I, I have to say one of the silver linings of COVID is seeing the work that your parents do. My kids, I think, had no idea what I did all day. I think they used to think I'd come here and just wave my wand and things would happen and twinkle my nose and things were done. But they saw and and were able to hear because they're in the house, five of us doing school and and working from home. They, They saw and heard the hard questions that were being asked, the decisions that were being made. The fact that I am literally, typically in back to back meetings all day long going from one topic to the next so do you think that that helped a bond between the two between the three of them and you to understand that this is what your day looks like but you yet still don't bring that home or that if if you did they they kind of get a better understanding of just how hectic your day can be and and what it takes to manage that i think the thing this is a silly story but i'll tell you anyway um my my kids, I won a National CIO of the Year Award this year, yeah. which was amazing, very humbling because the people that are in that group are just amazing at what they do. And my kids got to be there for that because it was a virtual ceremony, which mm. normally they wouldn't, right? It's normally black tie. You bring some yeah. people from work and that sort of thing. They got to be there. They got to see the videos that they had pulled together about my career and hear what people had to say about me. And I think it was that realization. And so I took my son to go get his wisdom teeth pulled this summer. And as I came in, as he was coming out of the anesthesia, he was very chatty. And I walked in and he said to the doctor, this is the national CIO of the year. (laughs) And I was like, okay, it's rubbing off on them a little bit. And there's a little bit of pride in that, in that thing that he just said. So they're, they're taking notice for sure. Have any of them mentioned that they want to follow in your footsteps in IT? Are they opposed to it? (laughs) They're like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. It's not about IT. They actually make fun of me because I'm much more of a business focused uh, IT leader. So I can't fix half the IT issues that we have. And they always laugh at me when they hear me calling the help desk or something like that. You're the CIO and you're calling the CIO. Oh, and you can't fix anything, mom. But at the same time, we've really encouraged them to do what they love and using the talents that God gave them. So my daughter, through playing sports, she had several injuries, including concussions, and she had to do a lot of physical therapy for that. She now wants to be a physical therapist. My son took a discovery flight for Christmas one year. He wants to be a pilot, and he is incredibly driven. He's got his private pilot's license. And then my youngest daughter, she plays softball very regularly and travel very high level. She wants to be the first female manager of the New York Yankees one day. So they are very focused in what they do. I like to think that my ability to focus on my career has shown them an ability to focus and have goals. Who knows what they'll actually do with it. So your son, he he took a, what kind of flight? He's, he's got his private pilot's license. He's 17 and that's what he did during COVID is he woke up every morning and took to the sky. Yeah. Awesome. Somewhere yeah. here, like in Leesburg, maybe? Yeah, Leesburg. Leesburg Airport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
flying like a Cessna? A Cessna, yes. So took his first solo flight. My heart was beating. Thankfully, he didn't tell me when it was happening because he knows that I would have just sat there and cried like my baby. But he's he's on his way and he is applying for colleges now to get his degree in professional flight. Have you gone up with him before? Not yet. No. He he wants to wait a few more takeoffs before he takes me. Yeah, get the before on there. Did you play sports? You mentioned that your did. daughter did. What kind of sports yeah. did you play? When you were- I, I dabbled. So when I was really little, played softball as well. And then field hockey and lacrosse were my sports until I got injured. And then I ran track. So what was your event in track? You're going to laugh because I'm so short. But long jump, triple jump, and the high and low hurdles. So... Really? Yes. So my dad used to laugh because he would stand at the finish line and they'd say, on your mark, get set. And, you know, you're on your mark, you're down as close to the to the track as you can get. And when you say get set, butts come up, couldn't see mine. And, and then they'd say it. go. And then all of a sudden you'd see my head pop up over the hurdle. So I know I ran track. I, I played football and ran track. Yeah. I look, I was a sprinter. I wasn't all mm-hmm. that fast. Mm-hmm. I did sprinting just because we had to run. I did mostly field events, so I did shot put. And if you're looking right at me, you can tell that that makes a lot more sense. Yep. But it was the same thing. I was always like last heat. Well, I was last (laughs) heat. You probably a lot faster, but I was the guy in the corner and you could barely see me until we stood up. I wasn't setting any world records, that's for sure. But, but you know what? I tried my hardest. I got a lot of PRs and I just really enjoy sport. I think it's important in your youth to have that. What do you think that's done for you just in your everyday life? Like when you handle challenges now, do you remember any of those lessons? Absolutely. I mean, you think just about how you function in a team, right? That it's not all about you. You can't be the hero every time on the field. You can't be the hero every day at work takes a team to get something done. Everybody has a role. You hold each other accountable. Commitment, discipline, communication. I mean, there's so much you learn from sports that I use every single day at the office. And what sports did your daughter play? So my oldest daughter played field hockey and my youngest daughter played softball. Yeah, and they're still playing now too. My oldest daughter is not. She's not playing at the college level. She chose to uh, focus on her academics. My youngest is uh, playing softball, travel a pretty high level, but I think she'll stop at the college level too. What's the biggest lesson that you can think back, either in a game or in practice, that really just sticks out as something that solidified some sort of resilience or an idea that you carry with you now from playing sports? You know, the idea of practice, right? So when you think about all those plays that you're trying to do, field hockey especially, you have this tiny little hook on a stick hitting a ball and you're trying to get to the goal. It takes a lot of control of that ball as you move down the pitch to ensure that you don't lose it, Mm -hmm. but you can get past your um, defender and then have an accurate shot. And that's not an easy thing to do, that hand-eye coordination at a very high speed. And so as you're doing all that, it takes practice and more practice and more practice to do that. And that's how work is too, right? We don't get things right the first time. You're going to fail sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's okay. But if you continue to practice and continue to learn lessons from the last time you failed, you're going to get to the right answer at the end of the day. What's your self-talk like when you're failing at something? Thing. And you're, and I, I try to frame the word failure as a learning lesson. Yeah. But I'm not always like that. Yeah. And little Philip in there can start criticizing big Philip and saying some pretty mean things. I am, I am definitely my most critical fan. That's, yeah. that's for sure. I can always find the flaws, but at the same time, and that's part of why I work out, I try and remind myself that I'm strong inside yeah. and out. Right. So. Yeah. And just saying, Christy, you can do this. I used to play um, ice hockey at Cornell. There was an intramural ice hockey league, uh, women's league. And our our song, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Um, They're never going to keep me down. Yeah. So that truly, like, that's my song, right? Like, I, I'll get knocked down, but I will always get up again. And they're never going to keep me down because I will always try again. Right. Because then it's not about something fitting into a certain time frame. Right. It's just about happening. So it didn't happen when initially I thought, yeah. but it happened. It's same with parenting, right? Like sometimes your kids have to touch the stove to learn it's hot. Sometimes as they're learning to walk, they're going to stumble, but they're going to learn not to, to walk that way again. And they're going to figure it out. It's the same exact thing. What life lesson do I want to learn from this? What lesson do I want to take from this so that I can continue moving on and growing rather than stepping back and giving up on myself. Yeah. We talked about the University of Pittsburgh, Mm -hmm. but you went to Cornell. Yes. What was it like? And that was grad school. Yes. What was it like getting into a grad school like Cornell's program? I actually... (laughs) 
I applied to Cornell on a whim thinking I'll never get in here. Like this is such a long shot. And my family is from Buffalo. My husband and I were taking a trip and we're like, let's just go look at the campus. I totally fell in love with the campus, decided to give my student interview with them. And then I got in and I was like, there's no stopping me now, yeah. right? Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna totally take advantage that I got into this amazing school and use it for everything I can. How long did you stay in in New York after you graduated? For no, no? I, I was there for the two years for school, and then I went back to Fredericksburg. Came back down here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, do you like Virginia more than uh, Pennsylvania? No, I found Leesburg, Virginia, is as close as I could get in a town to Doylestown, Pennsylvania, really? where I could grow up. They're very similar, and they've got this small historic town, but they've got big country like around it, and yeah. I love that. So, when you were talking about the way that the way you felt when you play sports, mm-hmm. I think that's such a great message for anyone who's mid-career or just just going through whatever they're yeah. going through. It doesn't yeah. even have to be professional. And that builds a lot of grit, yes. a lot of resilience. Yeah. And anyone who is either an entrepreneur or someone who wants to rise in their career or just starting a family needs to remember that. Yeah. I was just going to say, when you when you think about a sport, right? Like we learn all these lessons that I had just talked about that I use every day. But I think going back to that self-talk, the one thing is that you recognize that feeling of what it is to succeed. So trying to learn how to control that ball down the field hockey pitch and do the best you can with it. And then all of a sudden you score the goal and you're like, yes, I did that. Look what I can do, right? Like when you get that feeling, you never want to give it up. And so to me, that's like, I always want to go for that next feeling, whether it's on the the sports court or whether it's here at work, I always want that great confident feeling like that big smile that comes across the kid's face when they stick the landing. That's just like, oh, there's nothing like that feeling. And you know, you can do it. Yeah. So, but you know, in, in that self-talk, do you, what are your I am statements like? I mean, are you familiar with like yeah. I am statements? And it's sort of, I am is like the two most important words, right? Because anything that you put after that, it's how you identify yourself and what you're going to believe. And sometimes we can repeat certain things to ourselves when we're being critical that aren't that kind and yeah. aren't that nice. Yeah. But how do you, how do you think about those I am statements and then gratitude and how to mix that in there? So I like to consider that I, I always say like, I'm a smart cookie. I'm never the smartest one in the room, but I'm smart enough to ask questions. So mm-hmm. I I am smart, right? Like I I can figure this out. It might not, you know, be tomorrow, but I'm gonna figure it out. So I always say that. I am strong, meaning that I am resilient. I am gonna get back up again and always figure it out. So I those are probably the two things I say the most. And then the other thing, not I am, but I can, mm-hmm. right? I can do is something that I always think of that poster from um, yeah. Back in the day with the woman showing her her arm in the labor force like that is that is who I am. I can do it. I can do anything because my dad told me I could and I'm starting to prove it to myself every day. Right. You're starting to believe it. I, I always believe it. I'm starting to see it. Yeah. So there's so much more to do. Yeah. And how does, and it's not, I can tell that you're grateful just because I can hear it in your voice. Mm -hmm. Do you practice anything? Gratitude list? You can tell that I'm big on this. Yeah, you're big on this. Yeah. Um, I, it's in my, it's in my faith. I am so grateful for all the talents that I've been given, for the life I've been given with the family, the husband I have. Greg is the most amazing man you've ever met. And my family has always been nothing less than supportive in everything I do, which is mm-hmm. the reason I can do what I do. And so just recognizing those blessings every day is something that I hope to always continue to do and being able to pay it forward as well. Yes, yeah, sir. Are you, are you mentoring other people within GDIT or externally now who always. may want to? Always. I mean, the biggest thing is to look at someone, if you want what they have, do what they do. So someone looking at your career and your track, especially someone who is technical, like an engineer Mm -hmm. or even not even in IT, but Mm -hmm. wants to get into IT can look at you and see, not only can I get into IT, I can rise to a C-suite level position. Well, and that's, I'm the average Jill, right? Like I used to drive a minivan when my kids were little, driving them to all their sports, right? Doing all of those things. I go grocery shopping. I do all that regular stuff that moms do. I help with homework. I helped with college apps this weekend for my son. Those are the things we do and sit on the you know sidelines and cheer my kids on. But in order to take that and make something, you know, 
that show me attitude that people need. There are not enough women in IT. We're 50% of the American workforce, but we're less than 30% in IT. Why is that? Because a lot of women don't think they can do it all, right? I do it all. If I can do it, I know everybody else can do it. And I'm not the smartest one in the room. And I don't have it all figured out. And I have this village that helps me. But holy cow, right? So if I can just step out there and show them that Christy Grinnell, Gebhardt at the time from Doylestown, Pennsylvania, who she was a good student, not great. She was nice, but not the most popular person in the room, right? If she can do it, anybody can do it, right? So why limit yourself? And that's why I always go out there. GDIT, we sponsor a women in tech conference every year. Last year, we had over 1,500 people join. I'm hoping even if just one new person says, I can do what Christy does, and one day I'll work for them, I'll know I've succeeded. Well, hopefully people listening to this, someone reaches out to either you or me and, and yeah. wants to get in touch with you. That's be right. the greatest gift. Absolutely. What does mentorship look like for you? Even like with your mentors, yeah. I mean... It's for me and my mentors, it's never anything formal. Like we sit down yeah. and we're about to have a mentorship session right, right now. Right. It's usually let's get together for lunch. Let's get together for coffee. And if I have questions, I bring them up or if someone has a question for me, they'll ask me or get my advice on something I have experience with. That's another thing. It's finding people who have experience with the exact thing that you're struggling with and asking them for advice. Because if you're a great I don't go to my dentist for barbershop advice I, or like my optometrist, I'm sure is a great doctor, but he can't help me when my teeth hurt. Right. You know, that kind right. of thing. I, I think it's, it's different for me if I'm the mentor or the mentee. So as the mentee, I'm more like you. I consider them all much more informal sessions. I will always have questions and say, hey, I'm tackling this problem. What do you think? I was going to do it this way. Help me with the brainstorming like I explained with my dad. And I do that with other CIOs and CIOs that I used to work for that I absolutely consider mentors and have made me successful today. When I am the mentor, I let the mentee decide how they want to do it. Some of them are very formal about it. I'd like to have a mentor session to do this, this, and this and discuss this. Okay, let's do that, right? And then we'll set it up and we'll get a regular rhythm on the calendar. Some are much like me and, hey, I just wanted to come and talk and get your advice. The one thing I will say, you talked about... um, having the experience, I do like to get really different perspectives. So mm. that that mentorship and the mentee relationship as well. Like I love having mentees that are from all different areas. Some are from IT, some are college recruits, some are people that are already senior in their career. But hearing that different perspective really helps you to learn just as much from them as, as right. they do from you. And And so they might not have all that experience you need, but you always learn. Well, what about those college? So those college kids, we've got, we're just, we're so fortunate in this area to have UVA, Virginia Tech, GMU, George Washington, Georgetown, so many great schools with great tech programs, University of Maryland College Mm -hmm. Park, you know. I have to say William and Mary because my daughter goes there. We can just start, (laughs) right. I I know it's so hard to start naming them because you'll forget someone and then feel bad or I will. What, what advice can you give them now? to get into the IT world and really just kind of follow. You've been there and you know some of the things Mm -hmm. that were impactful and you probably know some of the things that you thought were important at the time that you realize now may not have been the best use of your time. You know, someone in their 20s, what could they be focused on if they really want to do what you did and be technical but make it to a more business development C-suite position? What can they be doing now? Ask why. The biggest thing you can do is be a thinker, right? Mm -hmm. Ask why. Be curious. Try and understand whatever you're doing right now. You could be in retail, and if you ask, why does it work that way? Why why do they put all these sweaters here and fold them like this? You're going to learn something that you're eventually going to apply Mm -hmm. in IT because we enable businesses, right? It doesn't matter what business you're in. You're an IT company. So the more you ask why in everything you do, why, why does the drawer open that way? Why did they design it that way? I don't know. Let's think about that because we might learn something that's going to help us. It has to open that way to slide smooth so it does X, Y, and Z. Okay, I need to think about that. So I need to create a smooth, seamless process one day for this IT system that I'm applying. The more you ask why, the more you are going to apply 
to what you do, regardless of what your career in IT is, regardless of what your role in IT is. Yeah. You have to be a thinker. And that's probably, that's useful for anyone, even if you're not mm-hmm. an engineer. That's probably the engineer in you, like, why is this happening? Yeah. And putting up the steps. But you just learn about the process yes. and the overall motivation for creating it that way. It's in yeah. that position for a reason. Yes. Why is the file save in the yeah. same spot every time, no matter what. Well, and it helps you solve real business problems, right? Because what we see in IT is that people come and say, hey, I really want to do X, Y, and Z because it's going to fix this. And then you start asking why and you start peeling back the onion and you start peeling back the onion and you start peeling back the onion and then all of a sudden you're at the core and say, the real problem is this that we need to yeah. fix. Otherwise, all we've done is put a Band-Aid on this. So let's fix the real problem instead. You get to that root cause problem. That makes you a better business person overall, right? Yeah. So those those are the reasons. Like if you can ask why, you're going to start solving real business problems or taking advantage of new opportunities you didn't even know were in front of you. So how do you guys do that for the federal government then as, as GDIT? I mean, yeah. I think I'm I'm probably safe to say that a big part of your business comes from defense. Yes. Right. And some of the agencies Mm -hmm. that need someone to be secretive, but also be very efficient in what they do. When you approach them to start talking about why or their challenges, what does that even look like? So it's very much like the, the CIO position that I have, right? Where we have to partner with our customers to understand what mission problems, what business problems they are truly trying to solve, right? What data are you trying to get to that warfighter so that they can fight a better right. mission? Or what things do we need to enable so that they can, they can fight a better mission or we can save more boots on the ground or have better national security, whatever the situation may be. So the more we get to partner and understand our customers, we call that customer intimacy here, we can really start getting at the root of the problem for them. And then because we partner with so many technology commercial vendors, we're able to say, we think this technology is going to help enable you and we know how to use this technology and we'll, we'll bridge those two things together for right. you. So we're bringing the best technology to solve the real mission problem for our customers. Right. right. So, I mean, right now, I think one of the biggest topics that folks are talking about just on the heels of things like our recent pipeline attack, mm-hmm. solar winds, is this idea of zero trust. Yes. Zero trust versus trust but verify. Yes. How is GDIT working internally to help solve that problem? Because that's not, we just had the executive order come out, yeah. the S-bombs, are, how are you guys working on trying to solve some of those problems that we yeah. see as a real critical mission for the government and it's going to be lasting for years? Yeah. So the good news is that the executive order really made the visibility and the priority of all of this zero trust and, and cyber services come to light of, you have to do this. This is not just a could you please, this is a thou shall, right? So, and the reason that's so important is because we do have to protect all of this data that we have the responsibility of keeping near and dear to us, whether it's data about what's going on over in other places where wars are going on or whether it's our own citizen data that we're, you know, managing for our federal customer. So if we can take that we do the same thing here at GDIT, right? We've been given this privilege of hosting and managing all of this data and assets for our customers and our own company. So how we think about data first, putting the wrapper around that mm-hmm. to protect it and ensure that we're doing the right thing. And you have to verify that everybody has access to that in the right way or doesn't, right? Right. And we're not going to let the bad guy get in and get a hold of anything. So we do the same thing at GDIT, zero trust architecture, absolutely, with all of those right services, thinking about data first and how we protect it. And we can take that to our customers as well. So we call that our customer zero story. You've got proof of concept with what you do for yourself. So if you can do it here, you can do it there. Yes. That's great. Does, so does being exposed to what, what I found is before I really started to meet more CIOs, mm-hmm. more CISOs, speak to more cybersecurity folks. And, and as I get more in conversation with military leaders and government leaders, I learn much more about cybersecurity than I ever did before. 
And it's terrifying. Maybe more than you wanted to know, it's right? It's terrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that take a toll on you at all? Like when you're like using your phone or just, I just connect things to the internet at home. I never think, hey, there's no native security on there. Right. And I always, I have friends and a lot of people say, well, I'm just the average American. Nobody wants my data. That's exactly who they want. You, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're their weakest link. <laughs> you're the one, you're the target market because yes. you they're just trying to sell me stuff. Yeah. Like maybe, but. Right. So you can't let it keep it keep you up at night. I mean, if, if you did that, you'd walk around paranoid and never able to leave the house type of thing. So the way I look at it is I have the most brilliant cyber team around me and I have access to the rest of the brilliant GDIT talent that does this for our customers every day. And we're always learning something new from our vendor partners and applying that to what we have to protect. And so as long as we are always acting in the best interest of GDIT and national security and our customers, we're doing the best we can with the tools that we have available to us, then I know we're doing the right thing and there's nothing more you can do about that, right? There's always going to be that next thing. Our adversaries are very smart. They have a lot of money invested in trying to get into this. The best thing we can do is with the stuff that we know about and have available. Now, we have to be very vigilant, right? You can't let your guard down, but I have an amazing team who is doing the best they can. Do you have any kind of like setup at home that has like multiple VPNs and like, did you, you take it home with you sort of? No, no. Look, just kind of I, your life. we do what we can. Social media. Yeah. I, I was just even laughing with my husband. My kids don't really post. I follow social media so that I can see what's going on, but I don't really post either, except for on LinkedIn for business reasons. That's probably one of our most vulnerable things, and that's probably the biggest lesson I can teach my kids about security. But we protect ourselves at home, but we we are not paranoid about it. Yeah. And you just keep coming back to the team that you have here at yeah. GDIT. Mm-hmm. And that's even just getting this, this scheduled and being here with you. I can tell that it's a very... Um, Everyone seems to take teamwork to heart and you have a culture that's developed that way. How do you think, or how do you use your experience of doing all the things that you've done and learning what you've learned and just being the person you are from your sports and everything else to influence that culture here at GDIT? What is the culture? Do you have a name for it? Is there a mission statement with it? So... The culture here, I mean, we talk about one GDIT, we're the GDIT family, right? And we all want to be very proud of the place that we work. And that pride comes from working with amazingly smart people who are solving really hard, complex national problems, right? That comes from working with people who respect you. We have a core set of values here, honesty, trust, transparency, and alignment. And when everybody is operating from those four core values, you know that you can solve any problem together. And that's an exciting thing to do. And then on top of it, we have this high performing culture mentality where we do hold each other accountable to doing the work that we're supposed to do and meeting the goals that we set out for ourselves. And as long as we're all holding each other accountable and doing the best we can, we'll solve problems together. We'll achieve those together. And then you look back and say, wow, this is really cool. I'm so proud of what I do and I'm so proud of who I work with and I'm so proud of GDIT. I bet your energy, I can tell, like we, even before we were talking, probably wears off a lot on some of the people internally. I hope so. I mean, energy is important, right? You have to love what you do. And I love what I do. So, I mean, we talked a little bit before about some I am statements and just kind of that mindset Mm -hmm. of, I know I've been there before and I know I've succeeded and I want to get back there. But what do you, what about fear? Mm -hmm. When you, I mean... It'd be unreasonable to think that you weren't in fear of something and whether it's making a good decision, sometimes it's the fear of success. How do you handle that? It's really interesting. So I do mentor quite a bit and I've given, I have this one little speech that I give about the monster at the end of this book. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's a Sesame Street book with Grover and throughout it, he doesn't want you to turn the page because there's a monster at the end of the book. And each time he faces an obstacle that says, don't turn the page, don't turn the page. And what he realizes at the very end that the monster at the end of the book is himself right? I think our greatest fear is ourself. It's what we don't know about ourselves and not having that confidence. But the more we take a risk, baby steps, start putting our foot, you know, through that open door, the more confidence you will get 
and you'll start to trust yourself more and then those fears start to go away. So if there's something I'm afraid of, I always think, what's the first step I can take that's going to get me closer to whatever this is? And then I just take it one step at a time and I remember that I might be afraid more of myself than what's really behind that door. Would you, so how do you define success then? Are you, would success be more of the consistency of continuing to take the next step? It's just trying, right? Your success is trying the next thing, right? It doesn't, you don't have to have succeeded in the task, but you have to have tried it, right? right? And if you try it, that's success in itself. Right. Because you're building that confidence and that muscle memory over time. It's all stair steps into the next thing that you're meant to be. Have you ever felt yourself at... I call it the jumping off point. It's a moment in time where you can't keep doing what you're doing, mm-hmm. but you're uncertain about what to do next. You just know you have to stop. You have to do something. Yeah. Uh, and you're not even sure what it is. And it doesn't have to be in your career. It could be in your personal life or, or anything. I, I actually have had that in my career. When I was at CSC, I was working incredibly long hours and it was a culture that I was not proud to be a part of, mm. where here I'm very proud to be a part of this culture. And knowing that, it was taking a huge toll on me and my health. I had gained like 20 pounds working there, yeah. just so stressful. And you're not eating well, you're not sleeping well, you're eating out of the vending machine, you're going to bed four hours later, you're you're coming back to work, just not the environment that was for me and making some decisions that I just didn't agree with. I knew I had to make the decision, but it's not something that I agreed with, which just ate at me. I couldn't stick to my true moral compass and what I was doing. And so I resigned and I've never quit anything right. before. Right. And like, I don't even like that word because I, I will always say like a Grinnell is not a quitter. Right. We, we don't quit. We, we always try and we might say this isn't for me and move to the next best thing but we don't quit and so we my husband and I talked about it a lot and I resigned and I said this isn't for me and then lo and behold that's how I got the next CIO job so yeah. I took a bet on myself and that's the thing that we have to remember right it's it's taking that bet on yourself how long did it take you to make that decision or how long had that internal feeling of I mean it sounds like so it was it was your, your physical health because yes. of mm-hmm. diet Lack of sleep. What was that feeling like at the time? How did that affect your family life? Like, and how long did that go on before it took that? So I actually knew the week I started that this was not the right decision. So you knew it was wrong. As soon as I walked in the door, I knew. And but I told myself I wasn't a quitter. That I was going to try it out and I was going to give it my best shot. And I do think that I made a difference on the culture there, and that I did the best I could with the tools I had available. And I I added value to the organization. But I couldn't let it continue mm-hmm. to, to suck the you know, life out of me. So my husband and I talked about it because I knew right away what it was. And so we said, let's give it a year. And then because of the, some things going on, I said, we'll give it a year and a half. So I did. But we always knew that that was the goal. Just yeah. get past a year. And so then I aligned it with when my kids ended school and we had the best summer ever. Is that what you did? You just took yeah. some time off? And- yeah. Yeah. And did it feel, did it feel any kind of like a loss? You mentioned like you reframed it cause it's not really quitting. It's moving on to the next thing. Yeah. You're not sure what that next thing is, right? but you just can't keep doing this because you're probably making negative progress by staying there. That's right. So I think because of the confidence my dad instilled in me, I knew I was going to end up on the better side of it. So I didn't take it as a loss. I took it as a, what can I learn from this? And it's actually the CIO I used to work for there who put me in for the job at GDIT, right? Which that's how the world works, right? You, you, you think it was the worst thing ever. And then people look back and say, Oh, that sounds horrible. I learned so much there and I ended up getting this amazing opportunity from it. So it's great. But yeah. at the same time, I didn't feel a loss. I felt I had to, to give myself a break and a breather so that I could refill my tank so that I could then come and be the best thing I could be at the next step I was going to take. Sometimes our moments of pain are our greatest teachers. That's right. There's so many, I mean, there's so many things, look, like anybody else, I've got a history too. And it's, there's things that at the time, describing to someone else, they would say, oh my God, that's horrible. Right. But I look back and I'm filled with gratitude that yeah, it happened. Because absolutely. had it not happened, I wouldn't have learned any of those things. Yep. And I wouldn't be in the position I'm in today or living the life that I'm living today, doing the things, meeting the people right. that I'm meeting today if it weren't for that. So at the time, it feels horrible. 
And as we have these cliches, like I was telling you earlier about the get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's right. And it's, we've used it so much that it's become cliche, but no one really talks about what that feels like. Yes. In that moment, it's going to be hard to Absolutely. remember that this is what we asked for, that this is just being comfortable with being, it's like, oh my God. Yes, absolutely. But here you are. Yeah. And that's, and do you share that with your team? Or, All the time. Yeah. All the time. I share it with my team and I shared it with my kids, right? Which I thought it was really important for them to see that it's yeah. okay to bet on yourself, that you can put yourself first and make these things happen. And that we were putting family first as well because I wanted to be a really good mom and I saw that I wasn't. So, so what's next for Christy Grinnell? Are you planning any, like, do you challenge yourself every year to do something scary or hard? In a, I mean, you're already the CIO of a, of a company like this. I'm sure you've got challenges, but looking at what's next and more ways for you to men- mentor others and do things like that, what, what do you have planned? Yeah, so the, the way I look at it is that I want to do the things that are going to add the most value for the time I put in to what I'm doing and be very present in my career, in my home, and in anything else that I'm doing. And so... So um, throughout my entire career, I didn't always go out seeking the next thing I had, but things often fall in my lap. And then I decide, is that the next thing that is going to help me create more value? So I'm waiting to see what that next thing is. But in the meantime, and I'm sure that's going to be a great gig here at GD. I just, we have to wait and see what that is. But in the meantime, there's so much more to do here. So yes, we've integrated two companies and done amazing things to help the company settle into this one GDIT and who we are. We're growing the culture. We're changing the way women are looked at in IT, especially here at GD, growing the amount of women in our workforce. So we're doing really great things, but there's so much more to do, right? I, I, I look at the opportunity and how to transform this company and the way that we work. How can we be easier to work with for our customers? How can we be easier to partner with, with these technology vendors that we work with every day? How can we be a better place to work so that we always win that war on talent? Those are the problems I want to continue to try and solve because I know we can always do more and always do better. And if we do that, the business is going to continue to grow. I'll always feel that I'm adding value. And then on top of it, I have this amazing team that I'm watching grow and do great things. And I just want to see them continue to do that. And I am there for them all day long. Yeah. So if someone wanted to reach out to you to be a mentee or Mm -hmm. just to kind of run ideas by you, how can they reach out to you? What's the best way? LinkedIn, email, text, phone, yeah. Microsoft Teams. If you're here at GDIT, I, I have an open door policy. I very rarely turn people away. I think yeah. it's important because again, I learn as much from that mentee as I typically do, as they typically do as a mentor. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. Thank it's you. been great chatting with you and I'm looking forward to hopefully someone reaching out to me saying, hey, would you mind introducing me to Christy? Because I really want to do that. Sounds great. I'm, yeah. I'm ready to, to meet other people and I'm ready to see you grow this into the a huge success that I know it'll be. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to DC Local Leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC Local Leaders on Instagram at DC Local Leaders or our website, dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.